Hello and welcome to a more perfect podcast. Today we're going to be talking all about equity. We're going to be talking about what equity is, how it is misrepresented, and finally, we're going to be talking about what it looks like when equity is put into practice. Before we talk about all that though, I've got a question for you guys. Have you ever felt like your phone is listening to you? Well, I'm here to tell you that number one, it is. And number two, there's a way to stop it. And the way to stop it is Surfshark VPN, the sponsor of this show. Surfshark VPN is a virtual private network that secures your internet connection so you can't be listened in on and harvested for your data. With the link in my podcast description, you can get a special deal on Surfshark VPN. You can get 82% off and your first two months free. Once again, if you feel like your phone is listening to you, don't let it listen to you any longer. Pick up a subscription to Surfshark VPN with the link in my podcast description, support the show, and secure your internet connection today. To talk about equity, we first need to define the concept of equity, and we need to define it honestly. We need to be very, very clear about what we mean and what equity implies, because as we'll see later on in this episode, there is a lot of intentional obscurity around the concept of equity nowadays pushed by activists who wish to implement it in institutions like universities, like businesses, everywhere. So now let's go for a honest, as clear as possible what equity is. Equity in one word is discrimination. Equity is furthermore defined as equality of outcome attained through unequal treatment. And as I would have it, equity is the new word for socialism amongst leftist activists of today. So that's three different ways to basically say the same thing. Equity is discrimination. Equity is the equality of outcome attained through unequal treatment. And in contemporary usage, I would argue that it is the new word for socialism among leftist activists of today. Now, that last definition of equity as a new word for socialism, in my opinion, it demands a further explanation. Because while I've said it on this podcast before, I really don't think I've gone into the level of detail needed to really validate, really explain that belief that I hold So, there's basically two ways to validate that equity is in fact socialism. The first way is something that I've attempted to do on this podcast before, which is to trace the ideas of Karl Marx from his original writings through the passage of time from generation to generation of leftists all the way to the present day. So, that would take you through, in no chronological order, People such as Antonio Gramsci, institutions such as the, or groups really, such as the Frankfurt School, people like Herbert Marcuse or Paulo Freire, just to name a few, right? It would take you through the whole lineage 
and an evolution of Marxism up to the present day, uh, up to the woke. And you would see that while these ideas have evolved over time, while these tenets of Marxism have shifted throughout the passage of time, that the fundamental ideas of Marxism still remain intact all the way from Karl Marx to the present day. And thus, you can see the Marxism within social justice, and you can see, in turn, the socialism within the concept of equity. However, tracking the ideas of Karl Marx all the way from him to the present day across literally hundreds of years of time is a lot to ask, and it's a, it's a tall order. So that brings us to the second way that we can explain that equity is socialism, and that would be through drawing out the, the fundamental tenets of Marxism and then drawing out the fundamental tenets of modern-day social justice and then holding them up side by side, realizing that they're the same thing, and then just seeing what it is equity as socialism. So it's that second thing that we're going to do today. First, we've got to understand Marxism and what it is. Second, we've got to understand social justice and what it claims. And then hopefully by the end of it, it'll be clear that equity is not such a good concept at all. In fact, equity is the new word for socialism today. So first on the docket then is explaining what Marxism is. And to do this, we're going to be paraphrasing two things. One, we're going to be paraphrasing the work of Karl Marx in Economic and Philosophic Manuscripts, um, Communist Manifesto, and Das Kapital. And, we're all, and second, we're going to be paraphrasing the work of James Lindsay over on the website New Discourses, all of which will be linked in the podcast description. Seriously, you should check them out if you want to read more on Marx and if you want to look at the excellent work of James Lindsay. So that's what we're going to be doing to summarize Marxism. Before I start with my summary, though, I just want to say one thing. This I'm going to refer to as classical Marxism, right? And this is this is actually the theory that people love nowadays to call just an economic theory. And they say this in response to you calling anything, like I am doing, you know, in this episode, you calling anything nowadays Marxist. So if you say critical race theory is Marxism, then they'll say, no, 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 no. You're, you're just not understanding Marxism. And they'll try to explain that Marxism is solely a economic theory, and that it stayed in economic theory, and to say that anything else is Marxist is to not understand Marxism. Now, obviously, obviously, they're wrong. This is a standard Marxist trick to claim that you don't understand it because you don't fully understand the concept, right? It's a standard Marxist trick. You, you see it with critical race theory, with people claiming that, oh, well, um, I have a doctorate, and I went to law school, and so I hold the true knowledge of what critical race theory is, and you, as a concerned parent and your, at your school board, cannot possibly know what it is, right? This kind of, this kind of shall we say, uh, appeal to credentialism is a, is a standard Marxist trick that they love, they love to trot out. So, 
without going any further on this, this is the theory that they love the goal solely economic, which easily can be disproved again in one of two ways. By examining the evolution of Marx's ideas throughout history to show that in fact it is not solely economic, that it has grown over time, that it has evolved over time, or to just draw out the tenets of Marxism and then draw out the tenets of social justice and to show that the skeleton of Marxism remains strong within the social justice movements of, of today. Anyways, I just wanted to make that note before I start talking about Marxism, just because so many people are, shall we say, missing the forest for the philosophical trees that compose it. So anyways, let us now explain classical Marxism. So within classical Marxism, there is a special kind of private property that produces more property called capital. And because capital can produce more property, it allows people to attain material wealth. In other words, capital allows you to be rich. The process of capital producing material wealth according to Marx, was inherently exploitative. And it was exploitative because it involves keeping some people excluded from owning capital, while at the same time using those people to produce more capital. So then the question becomes, who is exploiting who? And within classical Marxism, there is a upper class of people known as the bourgeoisie, or the superstructure of society, and a lower class of people known as the proletariat, or the infrastructure of society. The bourgeoisie have access to capital, and the proletariat, otherwise known as the working class, are excluded from it. In other words, the proletariat are exploited by the bourgeoisie through the theft of their surplus labor. And the bourgeoisie justify why they have access to capital and the proletariat don't through an ideology. And this ideology is known as capitalism. Furthermore, within classical Marxism, the only way to break out of this vicious cycle of exploitation is for the proletariat to attain a class consciousness, realize their oppression, and overthrow the bourgeoisie, capitalist class. After the bourgeoisie is overthrown, socialism will be established on the ruins of the former oppressive capitalist system, according to classical Marxism. The dictatorship of the proletariat, otherwise known as socialism, will reign supreme and enforce extreme egalitarianism so that no man will stand above another again. The dictatorship of the proletariat essentially means a fundamental leveling of the playing field, a more, dare I say, equitable arrangement of society. Once this equitable distribution becomes spontaneous, then socialism transforms into communism, and within communism, oppression, inequality, and class struggle become things of the past, and history ends. That is classical Marxism in a nutshell. So let me just sum all that up. Within Marxism, there's going to be six main elements. The first one is the exploitative upper class. The second one is the exploited lower class. The third one is the ideology justifying this exploitation and people's place in it. Why some are exploiters, why some are exploited. The fourth is the lower class realizing their oppression and overthrowing the upper class. The fifth is 
the enforcement of equal outcomes and a dictatorship of the proletariat known as socialism. And the sixth is when the equal outcomes of socialism become spontaneous, administration of these equal outcomes is no longer needed, and communism comes into fruition and there is no more exploitation or inequality or class struggle. So with those six elements in mind, we can easily go over to social justice and just apply them. So first element, who are the bourgeoisie and what is the capital that they have access to? The bourgeoisie are white people from Europe and the capital that they have access to is called whiteness or racial privilege. The second element is the proletariat and their exclusion and exploitation. So the proletariat are people of color. They are exploited and kept from whiteness through systemic racism. The third is the ideology that holds this exploitative order in place. So systemic racism is justified through an ideology of white supremacy. The fourth element is the proletariat attaining consciousness and overthrowing the exploitative order. The people of color, the proletariat, attain a racial consciousness and overthrow the white supremacy in society. The fifth is the establishment of socialism and the enforcement of equal outcomes. In social justice, that's called racial equity, and it's established when the racially conscious, the critical race theorists, if you want to get real about it, hold power. And the sixth is communism, when these equal outcomes become spontaneous. In social justice, it's called racial justice, and it's attained when whiteness is abolished. If you don't believe me, if you don't believe that whiteness is seen as property within critical race theory and social justice, then I'd point you to the academic paper written by Cheryl Harris, literally titled, Whiteness as Property. In sum, the main idea is this. Within social justice, disparities are blamed upon systemic power dynamics, which must be disrupted and dismantled by the woke in order to achieve equity. Thus, pursuing equity is about the redistribution of social capital according to the framework of intersectionality. And if you don't understand intersectionality, then I encourage you to listen to previous episodes of the podcast where I explain it, or go over to newdiscourses.com where there is a wonderful social justice dictionary where you can learn more. So for example, going back to our equity idea, for example, as, as I just said, racial equity would be about redressing the grievances done to people of color by a system of white supremacy that has historically oppressed them. Gender equity is about awarding rights and privileges to marginalized gender identities in the name of correcting the deeply transphobic or, as they say, heteronormative, meaning heterosexual a man attracted to a woman and normative being considered normal combined into one word. They call that heteronormative. It's about correcting this heteronormative system that has historically oppressed the marginalized gender identities. So that's it. Multiple brands of social justice now organized and laid out under the six main tenets of Marxism and 
why I really do believe that equity is fundamentally the new word for socialism in today's day and age. So as a concept, equity is often lied about by social justice activists, DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion consultants today. In fact, one of their favorite tricks is to define equity in a misleading way in order to make it sound appealing. After all, you can't just come straight out and say you want to reform an organization from the ground up according to leftist ideology. No, you've got to have an appealing platform, and they do that by lying. That's their favorite trick in the book, is just lying about what they want to do, and lying about the concepts they wish to advance, like equity. However, countering these lies, addressing these arguments, is a tricky process, since if you just say that equity is socialism, without proper context, you're unlikely to be taken seriously even though you're right. So here are some misleading definitions of equity that I've seen personally and how to address them. So this first definition of equity was actually one that I saw while I was in class and it was written on the board. The lesson wasn't on equity, it was actually on propaganda, ironically enough. But this this definition of equity was really significant to me because while I know that equity is the new word for socialism, as hopefully I've adequately demonstrated, this definition was really hard to rebut with just that. I mean, it was so deceptively appealing that I decided to make an episode on this because knowing that equity is socialism isn't enough to combat it. It, it gets you in the door, so to speak, but it isn't enough to leave the building, if you know what I mean. So, the definition is as follows. Equity is about hearing someone's voice and what they need. Now, that sounds fine. I mean, nobody would want anybody to not be heard. After all, we value free speech immensely in this country. Probably part of the reason why it struck me as so difficult to wrestle with because I value free speech extremely. But if you look at it closer, the assumptions that it's making are dangerous. It's assuming that some voices are not heard over others, which may be true until you blame the lack of, shall we say, loudness to certain voices on systemic power dynamics. And thus, should somebody say that equity is about hearing someone's voice and what they need, you need to question the assumptions that the argument is making. Basically, you, you need to ask, is it a caricature of reality? Is it a false reality drawn for political gain? Is this actually happening or are you making something out of nothing? And if you're making something out of nothing, then you're just here for power. And quite frankly, you can get the hell out of my organization. So this definition of equity, once again, equity as being all about hearing someone's voice and what they need, it's assuming that some voices are not heard, and in the fine print, it is assuming that voices are not heard because of systemic power dynamics, such as systemic racism and sexism, etc. But it never says systemic racism and sexism. 
So you have to be careful and really dig into the assumptions that these people are making. Another definition of equity that I've seen floating around is equity as a quality of outcome. So both with the first and second definition, you're supposed to, or I honestly would advise you to question the assumptions that they're making. Are they drawing up a caricature of reality? And the second thing that I would advise you to do is what are the means by which all voices are heard? What are the means by which equality of outcome is attained? How do you get from point A, which is inequality or everyone's voice not being heard to point B, which is equity. How do you get there? And more often than not, they're going to lie about it. So you're just going to have to question them more and more and more and more and more until it becomes obvious that they're running in circles, at which point, hopefully their fraud will be exposed for the power grabbing scheme that it is. The final one is a little bit more sinister, but honestly, a lot more honest than the other two. The third one that I've seen is equity is about ensuring equal access as measured by equal outcomes. So with this third one, you can, one, question the assumptions that they're making. Is there not already equal access, right? Are people really being discriminated against based upon immutable characteristics such as race, sex, etc.? You can question the implications of the argument, right? What are the means to the end of equity? How do you ensure this equal access and how do you measure equal outcomes? Usually, it'll be something vague. Usually, it will be something to where the process, or as they say, the work, is never really done with. And there's always inequality, so equity has to, the diversity, equity, and inclusion counselor usually has to continually have a larger and larger and larger and larger hand within the organization or within the institution. Because, oh, unequal outcomes here, there, and everywhere, and the harder that I look for them, the more they are there. So in order to ensure equity, you need to give me more money. You need to give me more power, right? It's always a freaking power grab with these equity people. As the theory goes, you know, the dictatorship of the proletariat, the dictatorship of the racially conscious, the dictatorship of, of the woke, as I illustrated earlier, it's a power grab. Equity is a power grab. And finally, you've got to ask a third thing. And, and this is this is by no means a, a complete guide on how to, you know, fight equity activists. If you would like a more complete guide, Carolyn Borisinko has written an excellent book called, I believe it's called Actively Unwoke, that I will link in the source notes of this episode. She is a fantastic writer, and um, I met her personally, so I can personally attest to her being an amazing person. Really, check her book out if, if, if you honestly want to know more about fighting these people, because, yeah. But anyways, the third thing that I would advise you to do is question the limiting principles. Where does equity stop? Where does it end? Where and at what point and upon what measurement is equity achieved? Usually, it'll be vague. So you will you will hopefully continue to expose them for the freaking frauds they are. And if they say, well, equity is about when all racial groups are represented. 
okay? What racial groups, what proportion of this company needs to be represented? And how will we get there? How will this comply with Statute X or Law X? Really drill them and they're not going to have answers. They will usually not have answers unless it is an extremely, extremely qualified equity activist or equity consultant. And if they are, then you can move on to number four. The Well, I think I said only three, but there's actually four things I would advise you to do. Number four, ask with, with all of these things, whether they say equity is about hearing someone's voice and what they need, equity is equality of outcome, or whether they say that equity is about ensuring equal access as measured by equal outcomes. Always ask, what does equity mean? And continue to ask for details. You need to ask the definition of equity in as detailed an explanation as possible. Eventually, they will draw themselves out and hopefully, again, expose themselves for the frauds that they are. Equity will sound like such a, either, either one, such a just blatantly ugly concept, or two, such a costly endeavor that the institution or business won't want to undertake a equity program any longer. So there you are. That's some tips that I have to counter these these misleading caricatures of what equity is forwarded by activists on the street and in organizations everywhere. They always lie about what equity is because once they're in power, it's really hard to take them out of power, whether through election or through firing them in the organization. Trust me, it is not easy at all. But that's another story for another time. The final note on this is I would personally say that to give resources according to need is not what equity means within social justice. Equity at a bird's eye view, at a very broad level, becomes a bad concept when it is based upon redressing unquantifiable systemic power dynamics as prescribed by wokeness and intersectionality. When something isn't quantifiable, it's usually a scam when it comes to things like equity, right? When it's just about ensuring the representation of people of color, sure, that's an ideal, sure, that's a goal, but, you know, where does it end? What's the limiting principle? It's not quantifiable or it constantly changes. For instance, they'll give a, I want a 30% white people, 70% uh, black people in this commercial, right? Some arbitrary statistic. Then a few months after they've achieved that goal, it'll be, it'll become, okay, well, sure, there's majority people of color in this commercial, but you are missing the gender identities. And so the wokeness, the equity will continue to ratchet up because they'll just continue to switch intersectional axes and just pull more and more and more resources from the company and more power from whatever organization in pursuit of more and more and more equity. At the end of the day, when based upon social justice, equity is a terrible concept. Not only is equity a terrible concept on its own, but the policies that result from pursuing equity are also a complete and utter disaster. 
For example, over on the website, The Center Square, they're now reporting on a new racial equity committee at the U.S. Department of Treasury. They write that a new equity committee at the U.S. Department of Treasury has sparked controversy and drawn the scrutiny of lawmakers on Capitol Hill. Yeah, rightly so. The Treasury Department said in the Treasury Advisory Committee on Racial Equity that it would advance racial equity in the economy and address acute disparities for communities of color. What was I saying that racial equity was earlier? Literally, exactly that. Toward that end, the committee will identify, monitor, and review aspects of the domestic economy that have directly and indirectly resulted in unfavorable conditions for communities of color, the Treasury Department announcement said. Well, there you go. I mean, once more, equity is about redressing disparities on the communities of color, and racial equity is about adjusting shares to make things equal. So, That's exactly what the Treasury Department is now going to do with the entire domestic economy. Or at least they are, with this advisory committee, looking for ways to do it. House Republicans sent a letter to U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen this week raising concerns that the progressively ideological members will have an outsized influence on the agency's policy decisions, such as modernizing the Internal Revenue Service, and implementing the so-called Inflation Reduction Act. What did I just say about equity being a power grab? The timing of the advisory committee's formation and the elevation of a radically partisan left-wing voice to lead this initiative are disturbing, the letter reads. The formation of this advisory committee will only worsen this administration's politicization of the Department of Treasury and distract it from its core responsibilities, which include ensuring a level playing field for all Americans. So there you see that rather than ensuring a level playing field for all Americans, the Department of Treasury is looking for ways to make the playing field equitable. And you would think, oh, well, that's going to ensure a level playing field. But no, 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 no. As we know, equity is unequal treatment. And so they are not going to be treating everybody equally. The Treasury Department will be abandoning its apolitical quest towards a blatantly left-wing political one, as if the Treasury Department has been completely apolitical throughout its history, which there is more than a few arguments out there to say that it hasn't. The letter also raises concerns about whether the group will advance radical and divisive views within Treasury and the administration. Well, (laughs) that's already happening. And then the last thing I wanted to read from this article is about the members of this Racial Equity Advisory Committee within the Department of Treasury, because it just, it gets so obvious what I was saying about the concept of equity being a new word for socialism nowadays. So the article writes that one member in particular has been a source of controversy for the committee. Felicia Wong, the committee's vice chairwoman, has been under fire for a previous statement she made supporting defunding the police, as well as her stance on race being a fundamental aspect of all public policy. But, you know, don't worry, guys. Critical race theory totally isn't a lens through which to see the world. It's just a uh, academic legal theory. Of course, it's not in and being... um 
pursued with all public policy, like they just said here. Just, you know, ignore it and continue to believe what they tell you. It's, it's, ju it's just a legal theory, guys. Don't, don't worry. Oh, these people. The article continues, One report Wong co-authored for the Roosevelt Institute says, quote, No policy, even if facially race-neutral, is race-neutral in practice. It also claims the United States needs an honest reckoning of America's legacy of white supremacy and violence, followed by concrete reparative action to redress those harms. And then the article also writes that the inaugural chair, Felicia Wong, of this committee has long advocated for a dismemberment of our capitalist system and defunding the police, in case there was any doubt that the pursuance of equity is inherently against capitalism and its equity is socialism. You know what? Let me just read that again. The inaugural chair, Felicia Wong, of this committee in the Department of Treasury, needn't I remind you, has long advocated for a dismemberment of our capitalist system. That's it. That's it. Right there. Equity is against capitalism. What is against capitalism, I wonder? Oh, it's socialism. I mean, duh. Like, it's right there. So this woman has not only advocated for a dismemberment of our capitalist system, but also the defunding of police, which, as the article writes, are policies certain to further deteriorate quality of life for all families, regardless of race. And that's the, that's the end of the article. But just in case that wasn't enough for you, the American Civil Liberties Union, ACLU for short, filed amicus curie briefs this year in two cases before the U.S. Supreme Court, Number one, Students for Fair Admissions versus President and Fellows of Harvard College and Students for Fair Admissions versus University of North Carolina, both of which challenge whether or not higher education can legally consider race in its application approval process. Now, anyone that, that has been keeping up with the ACLU over the past few years already knows where this is going. But to those who have not, the ACLU said this, Ending the consideration of race in college admissions would ignore the country's ongoing challenge of racial inequality and threaten diversity and inclusion on campuses everywhere. Race-conscious admissions practices help create a diverse student body and enrich the educational experiences of all students. The Supreme Court's holdings have recognized this for decades, and we urge the court to protect universities' ability to consider race in the admissions process. And the kicker, all students deserve equitable access to higher education. This is, this is disgusting, and it is a perfect illustration of discrimination being a necessary factor for the implementation of equity. What do they need to, quote, ensure equitable access to higher education? Why? They need to consider race in the application process. They need to, they need to discriminate by race in college admissions to ensure equitable access to higher education. Case in point, equity is discrimination. 
This is horrible. And one more, one more just ballpark policy. And this was, both of these things were actually very recent in August of this year. In the name of diversity, equity, and inclusion, North Dakota School Board will no longer recite the nation's pledge. It says that the school board in Fargo, North Dakota voted 7-2 to to ditch the pledge after board members complained that capitalized God was non-inclusionary. The school board had previously begun reciting the pledge after it passed a motion on March 22nd to start each meeting with it. And a board member by the name of Seth Holden said this. He said, given that the word God in the text of the Pledge of Allegiance is capitalized, the text is clearly referring to the Judeo-Christian God, and therefore it does not include any other, I guess he meant to say religion, such as Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, all of which are practiced by our staff and students at FPS. I I believe that's Fargo Public Schools, because it's in Fargo, North Dakota. Anyways, regardless, regardless of how you feel about the the Pledge of Allegiance, can't you agree that the cancellation of the Pledge of Allegiance in the name of equity is a little bit of a stretch? It's a little bit of a stretch to do that in the name of equity. Yeah, yeah. Equity is nothing good, and without any limiting principles, you end up with garbage like this. So, that's three different cases of equity in practice and just what an absolute disaster equity can be. And with that, that is about it for this episode. Once again, don't forget to support the show by purchasing a subscription to Surfshark VPN to protect yourself against hackers online and those who wish to steal your data and use it for malicious purposes. Seriously, there are so many entities out there, hackers, big tech, you name it, everybody wants your data online. Plus, you don't want your phone to be listening to you any more than it already is. So get Surfshark VPN with the link in the podcast description. You can get 82% off and your first two months completely free. Once again, with the link in my podcast description, you can get 82% off of Surfshark VPN and get the best virtual private network in the business for two months completely free. Don't forget to check out the source notes to this episode in the podcast description as well. I work very hard on them with every episode that I do. And Follow me on Instagram. That'll also be in the podcast description and subscribe to the podcast on YouTube. I think that's about all of the uh, all of the self-promotion I have to do today. Oh yeah, don't forget to share this podcast with your friends and family. I would really appreciate it. All right, that's enough for me. As usual, have a more perfect day.